Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Get Your Film Fixed podcast. We are going back to the year 2000 Y2K, boys, for Ridley Scott's Gladiator. Now, we're doing this a little bit differently this time with a video, so you guys can't make me laugh while I'm doing the intro. Sorry. Uh, that's going to happen. Doing though. sign language. You know, I know, <laughs> I know this is a, still a, a, an auditory medium, so... Um, and um, we're going to discuss that film. Uh, it was very influential film and uh, uh, very successful, and it won Best Picture at the Oscars that year. There were no fixies, of course, because we were still young we be- men. We lads. We lads at the time. Teens, um, the way we like them. And then, uh, Leo, instead of the top five this week, we're going to do something different. Can you just briefly summarize how that's going to work? Yeah, based on an idea that kind of came up with a top five that we did once um you guys remember we did uh which performance was better top five and yeah. we thought that was a lot of fun that was great Get into some good spirited debates with it so we're gonna just do something like that that and just have a discussion on a few either or type of scenarios that i've come up with and you know we'll start there we'll see how it goes and maybe it's something we'll continue with in the future helmet and tell me your name my name is gladiator father to a murdered son husband to a murdered wife and i will have my vengeance so boys i have a i want to try something a little different i have a couple of sort of questions for you guys that i hope we can get through quickly that aren't really related to the movie um so i just want to do that uh try that um, and so here's here's what I was thinking. I'm really glad we did this. Lee, you posted this really cool um, Instagram post to our Get Your Film Fix uh, account of three different images of Russell Crowe's early 2000s, late 99 work, which was The Insider, Gladiator, and A Beautiful Mind. He was nominated for all three of these films. These films were all back-to-back in 1999, 2000, 2001, respectively. And they were all nominated for Best Picture. And A Beautiful Mind and Gladiator won Best Picture. And to me, this stood out. This is I, I was trying to think of an analog for this in another time. And I couldn't really think of it. Um, and so to me, this seems very unique to the time. It feels like something that maybe couldn't ever be replicated again. And, and I was trying to figure out what about this time period allowed for someone like Russell Crowe to become such a rapid, so rapidly became such a important star, but then kind of in three short years being three of the most important films of, of that short time. That was the peak white male era. That's, that's the answer. Um, the, the one thing I think is a part of it, and we've sort of mentioned it before. We have sort of a, a pseudo name for it. It's the, the the Ron Howard Oscar machine. Now, only one of those movies was directed by Ron Howard, A Beautiful Mind. But I think Russell Crowe is one of the movie stars that were a part of that era where, you know, they were they there was a collection of actors who just happened to be big and significant at, at that time that were being cast in what were the substantial nominated movies. Now, there are still big actors that are cast in movies every single year, but those aren't necessarily the movies every year that are getting recognized for Oscars. So I think this fell during a time when both Russell Crowe was a very big and important and significant actor and the Academy was recognizing those types of movies. I think The Insider is a little bit on the outside looking in in terms of the types sure. of those movies. It certainly wasn't but, a hit. The other two movies were massive hits. But not only that, but Beautiful Mind and Gladiator are very, very polished. And hmm. they. I think that's also something that that we're talking about when we when we reference the, the Ron Howard Oscar machine. And I think maybe that's a part of it. I just think he was he was there. I mean, he's a great actor, but he was there 
for the ta- that was there for the taking, and he took it. I guess, but so the the, the, the I want to hear what you say have to say, Jeremy. But the the thing that the, for, for sort of trying to think of a modern analog for for that, and I thought, well, what what about someone like Timothy Chalamet? He he had. Uh, Call Me by Your Name, and he, which he had a small, which he had a big role in, and then he was also in um, Lady Bird in a supporting role, of course. Um, and then you know he had was in Little Women and that movie that you really liked, Lee. Um, beautiful boy, back beautiful to back boy, back to back. Yeah. And but even that, even in all his success, I, I don't think it compares to this. It's a totally different situation. Um, but you know, I think we should also point out, you know, Gladiator, an original film. Uh, rated R, one best picture, huge, huge box of it. it. Was the number three movie domestically, number two movie worldwide. I don't know. That just seems like some. That just seems unique to me. That seems like something that won't wouldn't happen these days. A movie that comes out in summer, the first movie of the summer, huge, huge box office success, and then suddenly, and then gets all this Oscar attention. Well, I got two points to this. Um, the first is what I first thought, or who I first thought of when you brought this up, and it still is, in my mind, the most amazing acting run in the history of cinema, and it's John Cazale, um, who went from The Godfather in 1972, The Conversation in 1974, The Godfather Part Two in 1974, Dog Day Afternoon in 1975, and The Deer Hunter mm. in 1978. Um, Timothy Chalamet doesn't hold a candle to that. And if the Fixies were back then, I think he would win uh, a lot of those years for supporting actor. Uh, So that's the first person I thought of. And the other person I thought of was was Leo, because Leo just doesn't as consistently make movies every year. I mean, there's something about having those three back-to-back-to-back that... uh, is, is really quite impressive with Russell Crowe. But Leo also... It may take every other year, every two years, but when he's he's got a movie, it's it's usually something that uh, either is up for best picture, or he's up for best actor, or he's just working with great directors. That's true. That's that's a good point. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities between Crow and 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 Leo. They're both kind of I don't know. Leo just has staying power that Crow didn't have. Yeah. Okay. Well, similar to Russell Crowe's run, we've got a three-film series from Ridley Scott, the director, at the same time that is also pretty remarkable. He's got, he starts with Gladiator after a series of pretty disappointing films, starts with Gladiator, huge hit, wins the Oscar for Best Actor, Best Director, or Best Picture, excuse me, huge hit, makes Hannibal, which not critically successful, but does extremely well at the box office. And then finishes that year, the year 2001 off with Black Hawk Down, critically pretty successful film and also very successful at the box office. Um, what do you guys think of Ridley Scott, especially this uh, post this period? I feel like Gladiator was, it was a big turning point for him as a director. So I, I, re- I, I remember having Ridley Scott so high on the tier of directors during this stretch yeah you know gladiator and black hawk down essentially back to back and especially if you're thinking about us watching those movies in high school like forget about whether or not they're they're good in for us now we're going to get into that of course but like those are just like adrenaline filled entertaining movies for us to watch at that period in our life so like ridley scott was just one of my favorite working directors at that time and then I felt I, I just remember being disappointed in what happened to him. I mean, if you go after that, then you're looking at movies like Matchstick Men. I remember Kingdom of Heaven being a really big disappointment for me, um, and and so on and so forth. But when I look back now, I look and I say, you know, don't be so hard on him. I mean, I loved American Gangster, Chapin. I don't think you were as high on that. The Martian is great. You know, Prometheus. I don't know, maybe he's trying something there that didn't quite work. But, like, you know, they can't all just be hits. And I think for a director that works as much as he does, we still have to give him a lot of credit. I think we're all excited for The Last Duel. We wouldn't be if he was just a total, you know, uh, uh, you know, bust since the early 2000s. So I think I think this is a director that I still uh, look on very fondly. I still get excited about his movies. Uh, you know, Gladiator 2 being announced... I, 
I don't think he's wor- directing that, but worried about that. <laughs> um, weirdly, watching this movie, the first part of this, uh, the Gladiator, when it, he's the general and there's a big battle scene, I. I was thinking to myself, I kind of wish I saw, I, I kind of wish Michael Mann was directing this. <laughs> I, w- I wish somebody with a little more like, uh, like frenetic pace, grittier, something less paint by numbers was happening mm. in, in Gladiator. That's I think an interesting o- <clears throat> note. Yeah. I think overall it all works and I think it's really engaging, but there is something about Ridley Scott's direction in this that is going back to the, the Ron Howard Oscar machine. There's a little bit of paint by numbers. There's a little bit of, we have a great story here. Let's not fuck it up. Instead of we have a great story here, let's elevate it. It feels storyboarded. It look, it feels and looks storyboarded, I think. And Ridley Scott's a big storyboarder. I know. And Which is nothing wrong with that. No, but when it doesn't, when it doesn't feel as artistic as a result, I think yeah. then maybe it becomes a problem. And I have always said, and I don't, I don't think I felt this way this time around. But I've always felt that Gladiator looked a little bit too polished. I felt like it just didn't capture the time period and the maybe. You know, they didn't even have cameras back then. So. Right? That's what bothers me. There's no way they could have shot that stuff. I don't understand. But no, I just feel like it, ne- it, it for something <laughs> about it took, something about Gladiator takes me out of the time period. And it happened less this time, but it's happened to me in the past. So it's interesting that you brought that up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you say great story, Jeremy. I mean, famously, this movie didn't have a secure script by the time they were making it. And that, that's sort of the narrative you can find. Apparently that. some of my favorite screenplays didn't have a great uh, <laughs> uh, secured script. Casablanca never had yeah. one. And it's one of the best structurally known stories of all time. Gladiator also, I think one of the best structural structural stories of all time uh, didn't, didn't have one. Well, you, th- you really, you really think that? Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I, I mean, Ooh, I know it's here. This is the thing. I know it's simplistic and, the fact that this this guy become you know this general that was going to become emperor then becomes a slave and defeats the emperor like you like that seems crazy on the surface but i think they they pull it off and they make it work and structurally it's like they somehow make that realistic and and you believe it as an audience member and i think that's that's what gives it that acclaim what was your before you guys watched this, what was your take on this movie? Where where did it like? Oh, like, I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, it was like cinematically like very important to me back in the day because when I, we were still in high school, like this was this was a huge movie to me. Yeah, and I think I feel, felt that way too. I, I for me, I think it w- fell more into that category of like a great DVD. You know, it was like you, you had that like great sound mix. It was loud. It was show offy. You know, it kind of it yeah. looked great. Which the the DVD, which I didn't go get. Instead, I rented this movie. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't lots, walk ten feet lots to the change shelf. in twenty years. <laughs> Could get off the couch. Just had to order nope. it. Yep. Um, well, it was in four K too. So, but uh, yeah, and so, and and watching it sort of start to finish this time, I was like, sort of surprised how much I must have just back in the day popped it in and, and gone to the chapters of, of, of the each battle scenes battle scene and each fight scene because i don't really remember the connecting tissue but i will say i think it's interesting you say that about structure jeremy because i found i sort of t- walked away from watching this earlier this week thinking i felt like they were a little too attached to the story i'm not really sure what, what i mean by that but what i'm saying is like I don't think that part worked as well for me. I think there was this. I think I, it's the it's the only part that I mean. I, I still enjoyed the movie, but that part worked well for me. The the connecting tissue that you were talking about is the stuff I sort of had trouble with in between. So this is interesting because Chapin, I'm I'm with you, and I like I remember watching the battle scenes. Like yeah. that's what I remember, and I I, I mentioned this to Jeremy. Um, a couple of days ago, I, I stumbled across an old review that I wrote of this movie. I wrote it in 2009. So, um, a little late. 11 years ago. And it was after a rewatch. I'd obviously seen it. And I opened that review 
basically asking myself or telling myself, okay, I went into Gladiator this time knowing I loved the battle scenes, knowing that in you know I, I had fast forwarded to those and always you know watched those that that you know feel very much like they're just uh, <laughs> like scene transitioners at this point watching them, but. I remembered those, and I was asking, okay, what, what else, what's the story in this movie? What is the, you know, as we said, the connective tissue? And then I went through my review, and what I think is very telling, now 11 years after I wrote that review, as I went into watching this movie, asking the exact same question. I remember the battle scenes. I like the battle scenes. What's the connecting tissue? And I think that's telling. I just, it doesn't sit with me. It doesn't resonate. I think... Maybe it is structured, Jeremy, but I don't think that it's a particularly memorable story. I just think it's there to get you from one really cool battle scene to the next, uh, some good lines of dialogue, and it's just not memorable. It's not that it's not interesting. It's just not memorable. I mean, I, I kind of disagree. I think, I think the fact that they are able to get you from point A to B to C to D the way they did is a credit to the movie but there are certain things that i this time around i just think fall flat one of them being the the uh relationship with joaquin phoenix's sister uh between not only him joaquin phoenix and his sister and also yeah connie nielsen and also uh russell crowe's character and her character that fell flat to me the um Oh, I'm going to need your help with this one, Lee. Um, he was famous back in those days. Oh, Dijmah Hounsou? Thank you. What happened uh, to him, man? The best yeah. yeller in cinema history. <laughs> he, had those, so he had that and Blood Diamond going for him. Yep. But that, that whole uh, relationship, I felt... I remember that more fondly back in the day than mm-hmm. I did this watch. Me too. So there's those little pieces that just absolutely didn't work for me. But I think Russell Crowe is really good in this. Um, I think you get the sense of him going from being everything to being nothing to just trying to survive. Um, And then, of course, Joaquin Phoenix is really interesting to look back on now, knowing what we or or knowing what we think about him currently and what sort of society thinks of him currently as compared to when he was in this role back in the day um because we sort of thought of as one of the best living actors currently yeah. uh people at the time didn't think he was good in this which i will never the, understand no i mean he was amazing but at the time people didn't obviously think that uh so seeing him in it again, I've always thought he was freaky in it. Like I thought he was really good uh, back when I first saw it, and I think I think in a different way, I think he's really good this time around. Um, but it is interesting knowing an actor's uh, career going back and looking at something like that. I, I, I will say, I think I felt that the the. So we, you have sort of two plots, right? You've got, you've got the revenge story of Maximus, and you've got this subplot of, of the fall of Rome, you know? And mm-hmm. in, in my mind, I, I was sort of, you know, less invested. I felt that the, the Rome stuff was a distraction, you know? Like, I agree. It, 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 it's not accurate. It's not how things happened at all. Um, yeah, but who cares? I no, mean, no, I, I agree. If it's but, done well. But I mean, I guess I, I do care because I think that this this film has a reputation of being sort of reigniting interest in this time period. And I think you've got these movies that like can do that for people and can be a, a, a sort of representation of history. And I think that's cool. Like the idea of, you know, in a digital era where you can recreate the Colosseum digitally and have all this, you know, see what Rome looked like back in the day. That's such a cool thing. But yeah, you, you, there's no, there doesn't seem to be very much like, like take a movie like Saving Private Ryan, right? Which, by the way, Ridley Scott like steals so many stylistic things from in, in, in the battle scenes that, you know, Spielberg might have a lawsuit, you know. On his hands, Scott's always bitten everything off. <laughs> but you, you, you look at a film like that. That's not. That's based on a real story of, um, you know, the 
uh, brothers that died in World War II, but this, the, sh- the, the story is largely made up, um, mm-hmm. the, the mission. And, but you've got this backdrop of D-Day, and you, it allows you to sort of explore um, D-Day in a way that you really couldn't um, beforehand. And I think, um, and World War II from the American perspective, and, and I don't think that this film does that for Rome. And, it, it's, and so it's not like, it's not a historical film, which like you said, Lee, so what? But also, it's, it's also hampered by this need to tell this historical st- story that's not even true. Yeah, and and I'll backtrack a little bit because I will say that I think Ridley Scott does try to create some, you know, realism historically to this. I mean, he he spends a lot of time with, you know, either B-roll or cutaways trying to establish like all the little things that were going on, like the 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 extras, you know, betting on the whatever they used to do playing with cobras and like little things like that. A lot of time yeah. spent in this movie, you know, around the towns and seeing that type of thing. So I think there was an effort to try to make this historically accurate. So maybe it does matter a little bit more than I was suggesting. I, I wonder, back to what Jeremy was saying though, I, I wonder a little bit, you know, about even the, the revenge story, which I agree is the more interesting piece, but I struggled at times trying to like understand or not necessarily understand, but keep up with Maximus's changing motives. I mean, at first he seems like after after his family is killed, it seems like he just kind of wants to die. He doesn't really seem motivated to survive in any way. Yeah, I would agree with you know, that. Then, then, you know, basically he is in the arena and he just sort of spits at society. He's, he doesn't care what they think. You know, the, the are you not entertained speech. Then he has a little conversation with Proximo. Now he wants to win the crowd and earn his freedom. But then also you still have the vengeance piece. So it's constantly changing and doesn't really seem to have a lot of motivation for that change other than a quick line of dialogue. Yeah, I would totally agree. And that makes it, it makes it hard to, to follow. And I, and I would bet that there is stuff on the cutting room floor. I would bet that there is a lot to do with all the rewrites that happened that, <clears throat> that made that story more confusing um, as opposed to less. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't care less about a lot of what you guys are saying in relation to... <laughs> just period. In relation to... Yeah, just in period. Uh, in relation to the, the plot in the, this story, like, I don't really think it matters that much about the historical accuracy. Like, yes, they. Tr- I think it was more important to try to create a world um, I don't know how important it was to be that historically accurate. I guess I'm not, um, I don't think it's important to be historically accurate. I think it's just if 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 that's your goal, if your goal is to tell the story of the fall of Rome or how it happened, you might you might I don't try think it to is. be. But then why I don't ta- think it tell was. that story at all? But then wouldn't that counter contradict your point that the con- that's the connecting tissue, that storyline? Like, and if 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 that's not as important to tell that accurately then so to me like to me this movie's all about maximus becoming in the air the the air and the emperor to rome losing that to uh commodus commodus killing his father and then ultimately maximus's journey from a slave to killing the emperor that is what this movie is about to me and on that level, this movie really, really succeeds. And the connective tissue of the fall of Rome or these other side relationships between him and Proximo and Lucila and uh, Juba, all those things are not that important to me. It's really about getting his character and Commodus's character fighting at the end and getting in there in a way that you believe they could actually be stepping in a ring together. And to me, that really works. And, and like the obviously, it, the in-between is a lot of those awesome battle scenes um, that also work. I, so I, I think I that's why it works for me. I, and in retrospect, I don't think... I don't Those battle scenes were... Not as good as I remember. The uh, beginning one or the... All of, them. Uh, All of them. Actually, I like the yeah. beginning one the most this time. I thought that one was the, the most interesting. I thought that one... So I, I was watching this movie and I knew that... Sorry, I don't have his name, uh, the, the cinematographer for this movie. I should have written it down, but... I got you. I know he was nominated for, John for Best Cinematography. 
Um, maybe even yeah, one. Yeah, I wasn't that impressed. I, yeah, I was not impressed, but then I was thinking, I was like, okay, but that opening scene, I really like how that was shot. Jeremy, I know you wish it was a little more frenetic and a little less polished and storyboarded, I guess, but like, I loved how it looked and how they had the ash coming down and everything. I thought that was beautiful, but everything else I felt like was a little bit basic, and maybe that's well, here, because of what we're here's used the to question. now. Exactly. But, is, it, is it not as good as you remember, or have things think, gotten better I, I think that's the answer i think we're yeah. just i i said it on the i mean fixies there's the, even like the bar is set pretty high now for great cinematography well um and this sort of right launched on. the sword and sandal genre it, coming it back totally too. you're totally right about that to- hugely influential but the, he's like think about think about this he uses these techniques the 45 degree shutter the sort of the the slowed down but sped up like blurry motion effect. Yeah, which I did not like. I don't at like all. that either. But that's all that was all either popularized or essentially done for the first time in yeah, Saving Private Ryan. Ryan. And I don't like you've got these. You know, you 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 don't see in the D Day sequence like a beautiful crane shot intercut with that stuff. Like it's all handheld. It's all gritty. It, it's what you were saying, Jeremy. This like let's get in the trenches and fight with these guys. And so you don't have those shots of like the horses running, you know, from a helicopter through the woods, which are beautiful shots and, and dynamic in a way that, you know, only someone of Ridley Scott's skill could do. But there is a, what I love about, especially the D-Day sequence in Saving Private Ryan is that, that they made a choice there. They decided not to storyboard. They said, we're going to film this like, you know, these guys who had the Bolexes, did yeah, yeah, on like the beaches the- and and we're gonna have all these weird effects in it you know as if they were filmed that way and and there's no like ethos to the way that that um that there's also sp- motivation for uh, like some of the shutter speed things sure. and the things that kaminsky does in saving Private ryan like the, like there's so many scenes where like the the first one is when commodus gets to the battle uh in germania at the beginning and he comes out of like his little wagon and it slows down. It looks like it's done in post. There's no reason. Yeah, no. To a do lot it. of that slow mm-hmm. motion and was done in post. Yeah, yeah. And it, but it looks unmotivated, and it doesn't feel like it was there for under, any other reason than like you, you guys. I'm sure have. Uh, I know Jeremy, you and me dealt with this, and like where you have to slow something down in post because like something about the shot didn't work, or like you right. just, you know what I mean? It's to fix a mistake, and that's what that felt like sometimes. So I, you know, just in terms of the cinematography of this movie, the battle scenes, I think it does have a lot to do with it. We've seen a lot of things either just done this way as well or better or, or but mostly the bar is just set higher like there's more things that can be done so it's just not as impressive anymore I agree I mean I agree with that I, I think that the cinematography had lots of issues that it was a bit paint by numbers that it was overly storyboarded all that stuff um, but I think the central performances sort of saved it for me and the structure of this story saved it for me i still enjoyed it um it definitely went down a peg from when Mm -hmm. i initially had seen it years ago i also wonder speaking of sort of starting the sword and sandal uh revitalization is that score by hans zimmer i love the score in this movie that's one thing i I feel like really i feel like this a lot of movies after took that sort of Enya-ish oh, sort yeah. of score. Uh, well, it's un- well, the Insider sort of had it too, and there was co- similar collaborators. That's true. So, um, but I that's talk about something that has stood up and maybe was still my favorite part of this movie was the score. Yeah, whether or not it works totally, like it do- never shuts off. <laughs> it's playing the entire time, but it's it's good music. Um. <laughs> Do you guys want to talk about the acting a little bit in more detail? Yeah. I mean, Russell Crowe. I think it's the worst of those three performances I mentioned. So that makes it sound worse than it is, though, right? I mean, I still think he's really good. Um, There was a time where I thought he was actually maybe third best in this movie. I I think Connie Nielsen's great. I think Joaquin Phoenix is great. I don't remember. So the Joaquin Phoenix and Russell Crowe came up on that either or who was better top five that we did. And I can't remember who ended up winning that, but I feel like maybe Joaquin Phoenix did. But I, I, I think in the past I thought everybody else was better than Russell Crowe. I didn't feel that way this time. I think he was the best actor in this movie. I'd have to see a beautiful mind again to rate it. But I mean, Me obviously too. the insider would be number one. 
to this, but I think he just he doesn't do a lot here, but he does he does a lot without doing a lot. If that yeah. makes any sense, and especially that of, type of role, that's I think unique. it's a movie star role. It com- he needs to command the screen. He needs to show this gravitas without doing anything, which is sort of what his character is, and. He also has to be a little dead inside, which he yeah. does, and do all that together. So I think that I think he he is really good in this. I really liked Oliver Reed in this movie, who plays Proximo. Yeah, I thought that was the performance that just stood out the most for me this time around. You know, well, and not that you know that's not that that's as an important of a role as some of the other ones, no, but, but you, I just think I, think I, I know noticed why it him. Did. Like, I, I kind of want. I, I I sort of wish the movie went that the way of his performance where it was just kind of it died pomp no <laughs> pomp and circumstance you know just like okay like this is this is big this is rome this is battles and the coliseum and let's like embrace the you know the yeah. the sort of scale of all this and uh, you know i, I he's he kind of chews the scenery and hams it up but i i don't mind that and you know, I like I love Russell Crowe, and I mean, I, I my my thought is like I don't think Master and Commander gets made if this movie doesn't have the success that it does. Um, but honestly, like I I don't I don't just I don't find Maximus to be a very interesting character. Um, and and maybe and I think Russell Crowe does the best he can with that, but I don't think it's a his performance is hurt by it. It's just it it's there's no way around it. Sometimes you just want a movie, honestly, where the guy, there's this manly man that needs to kill everyone in his path because his family got killed, and there's a reason for it, rather than it being like a Liam Neeson, your daughter's taken, (laughs) and that's the whole plot of it. Like, there's some background here, and I don't know, the simplicity of it works, in my opinion. Well, I think that's why the structure, I mean, the structure, you, you mentioned the simplicity, Jeremy, and you've mentioned the structure, and I think both of those things are true. I think this was a very well structured movie, partly because it was easy to structure, because they do kind of set up this general who becomes a slave slave, who becomes a gladiator. I mean, they basically just take a tagline and expand it into yeah. a movie. And that's fine, because it's a cool tagline. So I think all of that's true. But to Chapin's point, does this movie make any extra efforts to make Maximus more interesting other than just the story that or, or the, the journey that he has to go on like as a character how interesting is he really like he's sort of this like brooding general that's really good at his job but just wants to go home and then he's but because he's so well trained he's his revenge tour is successful I well, mean he's <laughs> loyal he's loyal and he's obviously uh, a, a great leader. He still leader. makes out with uh, Lucilla. Lucilla. No, no. I mean, yeah. he's like loyal to Rome, but and I guess, yeah. and he's and he's a good leader. But he doesn't seem like a guy who's very intelligent, and doesn't seem to be that interested or that concerned or that knowledgeable about the way Rome works. So to suddenly kind of, I mean, I guess you could argue that his loyalty to Marcus Aurelius means he is dedicated to realizing the senate taking control of rome again but i don't know that whole part just who cares <laughs> show I, me, I guess that's where we disagree show me more battles that stuff worked that stuff worked for me um but i think we all can agree on where the the other parts where this movie doesn't work um which is which is interesting so um the um the lucilla com- the lucilla and commodus relationship that obviously is a little right. incestuous and, yeah. you know, I, I think, I, I think it's pivotal and I think it actually, I like it because I, <laughs> this is why we don't do the video. <laughs> I think this is, um, I like how all I had to do was mention incest. That's when we all lost it and couldn't keep it together anymore. Um, Gotta cut that out. Before. I well, think do we want to talk about the connection to Game of Thrones with this? Uh, I mean, that's, you know, we could. Um, but what what I wanted to say is that I think the relationship between Connie Nielsen and, and Joaquin Phoenix is really important because it it does two things. One, it, it sh- and I think Nielsen's performance gets underrated for this reason. Mm. It shows it's it's a it's a microcosm of of how much everybody just does not respect Commodus, and like and I think 
Joaquin Phoenix plays that well and understands that people don't respect him and doesn't understand why and doesn't really know what he's doing wrong. But Connie Nielsen does a great job of balancing this bit where she she also doesn't respect him, knows nobody respects him, kind of hopes somebody kills him and, and they can move on, but also knows that it's more dangerous for her to disagree with him than to agree with him. So she has to play that balancing act. And I think as a result, that relationship really works for this movie. And, and maybe that's a you know, another plot line that works really well for me throughout this movie. Mm. No? It's not, yeah, my, it's not my favorite. Well, yeah, I'm not, like, I, I'll, I'll split the difference with you, Lee. I think, it's, I think it's important if all those other sort of threads had been a little bit more fleshed out. I think okay. it's important for to establish who Commodus is, Um and I also think it's interesting to show the dynamics of power, uh, especially when it comes to like sort of state power mm-hmm. and the fact that everybody clearly does not like this guy, but there's nothing they can do because he's technically in power. Like they have to sort of just sit there and figure out ways to try to maybe behind his back do something it, yeah. or, or to instead of just one person just going up and stabbing him and calling yeah. it a day because they know they can't do that because this is the guy who's in charge. All right. So, guys, I'm going to start this off very easily just so you kind of get the idea of what I'm talking about. Okay. And then I got a Easy. couple that are a little bit more complicated. Um, but the so you got to explain the game. Is, okay, yeah, sorry. Yep. So, so we, we did a top five of this. And then it also, we when we did our best of the decade show, we had a little bit of this too, which I just, we had a blast doing. And it was, it's basically the either or. And so, like, the top five was, okay, which performance was better in Gladiator? Joaquin Phoenix or Russell Crowe? And we debated it. We talked about it. We all had to make a choice. We had to choose. And since there's three of us, a winner is essentially inevitably declared. Uh, and then on the Best of the Decade show, we were comparing, I think it was 2010 and 2015, and we were going movie for movie. And it was, it was you know, really easy until we hit, like, Inception versus Mad Max, and we all just we didn't know what to do because of course Ooh, that's a good one. because of course when we make these decisions, the loser is eliminated from movie history. I mean, this is you know the Get Your Film Fix podcast. What we say goes. We're all about so, stakes here. So I thought we could do something similar, and rather than do it in top five form, one of us could just come up with a couple of ideas that maybe tie into the movie we discussed in some way, shape, or form, and then we debate it. And, you know, maybe some will have more spirited debates than others, and and we'll see. But the first one I got for you is pretty simple, okay? If you have to pick a movie, remembering the loser is eliminated from movie history, Gladiator or Braveheart? Oh, uh, I would I would eliminate Gladiator. I would too. Interesting. And that's without having seen Braveheart recently, I imagine. Right. And I think it's partly having seen Gladiator that's, recently. I so mean, that's pretty telling. That's pretty Braveheart telling about is, this most recent review. It's similarly is sort of the same story. You know? It is. Way. And so is Spartacus. I mean, Spartacus is basically Braveheart and Gladiator combined into one. Um, all right, so how about this now? Gladiator or Black Hawk Down? Black Hawk. Oh no, I would get rid of Black. Get rid of get, get rid of Gladiator. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, on this podcast, who would we get rid of? <laughs> uh, I think I'd get rid of Black Hawk Down. To be honest. Oh no, boy, no, no way. So no that's way. so I've seen both of those again recently. Yeah, Black Hawk Down. I haven't. I have not seen Black Hawk Down I, recently. I so. Can't wait till we get to what is that next year when we can do the twenty year on Black Hawk Down. Next year, baby. Oh yeah, it's, I love how it's. Just beginning of March, we're excited <laughs> about next year. We've survived coronavirus. That's true. All right, right so it's way too early to say that. We're going to get a, a little bit more complicated now. All right. So Russell Crowe's three best performances. Now I know we have The Insider, Gladiator, and Beautiful Mind. Those may not be your three best. You know, maybe L.A. Confidential, maybe Master and Commander are thrown in there. But if Whatever your three favorite Russell Crowe performances are, would you give those three up if it meant that you could get three new performances of equal or better quality from him moving forward? Because I think we can all agree that Russell Crowe has not been what he used to be. Absolutely not. You wouldn't? No, because that would be getting rid of my one of my favorite movies of all time. That's a good point for Chapin. Okay. 
but you could get something uh, of equal or better quality from Russell Crowe. Not necessarily movie, but performance. Yeah, no. And you'd also have something no, new. No, I'm not going to risk any of that. Okay, that's interesting. Jeremy? Yeah, I think, I think I'm also going to take the bird in the hand. Uh, see, I think I'd give him up. I think I would love to see something of this quality from Russell Crowe again, something new. You think I'm ever going to get another Noah? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so what are your favorites, Jeremy? Noah? Um, Noah the Mummy. The, a Good Year. A good, yeah. <laughs> also Ridley Scott. Good Year. And about it's a wine City. movie, so. Yeah. Wine. Um, okay, so interesting. All right, now I got one final one. Which. Wait, that's it? You got to have more. You got to have more than what? I got. F- I came up with four. You guys just aren't. And you guys are just agreeing all the time, so we can't get in any s- exciting no, debates no, come going. On. If you want this segment to last, you got to fight for it. Come on. Well, then you guys can certainly come up with some too. Jesus but Christ. all right. So, so Chapin, this yes. one is more for you. But Jeremy, you can. Of oh, course, good. Chime I'm allowed in. to uh, chime in. Thank you. Well, I just know you don't just dis- have the same type of disdain for what I'm going to bring up. So Chapin, would you get rid of? Joaquin Phoenix's and Jared Leto's Joker, but if it also meant that Heath Ledger's Joker had to go. Ooh, that's a good one. No, like you have to sort of suspend some disbelief here because obviously you could just not watch the other Jokers, but forget that. But if you Mm. could get rid of those two and pretend, and those never Like they never happen. But also that means that Heath Ledger's is gone too. I clearly would not. Yeah, I don't think so. Um... Those are pre- those are pretty bad performances, but I don't know. I mean, the, yeah, the issue with this game is that I don't, you know, it's I don't mind that they exist. I guess. Um, what so? What if what if Heath Ledger's can continue to exist, but you can only watch the other ones? Would you then get rid of all three? No. Interesting. Have you seen uh, what's his name? Jared Leto's Joker. Yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. I haven't all, seen all, it. All those movies are just doing so well. The Harley Quinn, and <laughs> they yeah. had to change the name of that movie. <laughs> changed it after it came out. Yeah, I know. All right, Lee, I think you need to you need to come back with one more. Make make it a good one. Well, why don't you guys chime in? I you know I was trying to give examples. Technically, this would have been Chapin's turn to uh, to open. Um, how about? Well, no, it's your turn to open, but you made me do it. All right. <laughs> That's true. It's a good point. I don't have another one. I came up with four. Okay. Let's see if I can think of one. You got one, Jeremy? Uh, uh, um, nope. All right. Something that does, just so we can so in, in, infuse some life into this segment this, and that we don't lose all our listeners. One time segment. This first and last. So just something that doesn't tie in at all with, with, uh, with Gladiator. What's your ultimate either or? Hmm. Nothing. We got nothing. You guys. I mean, s- the thing is, you got to I, I If you'd given me time to think, because you're like, oh, don't worry. I'll, I'll run the segment. And yeah, I was like, and no, I, I don't have to think guys, about it. I gave you guys four things. The, the Gladiator Braveheart one is great. And I think there's more there. And the reason I'll say that is, you know, Gladiator's got some pretty kind of iffy CGI and but those battle sequences in Braveheart are like for real. They they did that. I mean, there's some also some they early, killed those guys early CGI. Yeah. But there's that's so there's those, a reason you haven't seen those actors anymore. Yeah. Although that one actor's in both. Um, what's his name? Yeah, Scarface. Irish guy. He's got he yeah. he has a Chelsea smile or whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. I I like the idea of. Uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we? I love. I liked Jeremy's Michael Mann insight. Is there anything we can do with that tying this game to save this game at all? Okay, so you mean in terms of okay, so he would Wait, he would have wondered maybe if Michael Mann directed this. Okay, so how about we 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 switch? Ridley Scott directs The Insider, and Michael Mann directs Gladiator. Which movie is would, better? I think I think Does, all things being equal, that that would be a net positive compared to the alternative in other words like it would that would be those two so movies, both movies would still be good both movies saying. would still be good and the net positive of both those films would be better so i wonder you, that 
I th- I wonder that. I, I think the insider would lose a lot, and Gladiator would gain a little. See, so I, I think I it would think be so. a net negative. You don't forget that Michael Mann wrote the script for Insider, so you still have him there. there we're just talking about switching directors. Yeah, so, I know. So, and, and the, so and Gladiator think, is not as different a film as Insider becomes. Insider becomes a massively different. Exactly. Movie. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. It does it though? I think so. I think it becomes way less. Uh, Experimental in art. Uh, I don't want to say artistic because that makes you're gonna have you like, uh, like you're gonna have those close ups with Ridley Scott. You're gonna have you're not gonna have like the whole like part of that movie is like the look helps that character's anxiety and sort of sympathy. Where I, I don't know if you get that with Ridley Scott. With Ridley Scott, oh. you get more of the paint by, by numbers. Well, no, I mean that's not totally true because the the movies are more similar than we're giving them credit for. I mean, we already mentioned the music, but the directors in particular, and maybe Gladiator is a, a less, uh, isn't as good an example, but in Black Hawk Down, Ridley Scott uses uses color, like interesting color all the time. He, he uses green. I mean, it's night vision and stuff, but even just, you know, sometimes without the night vision, there's just like green and yellows and stuff that he infuses into the, into the mise en scene. Yeah, so maybe he that takes that script and and goes he, in the similar direction, right? As so he's Michael a, Mann does. He's a capable. You can't take what Ridley Scott did with Gladiator and apply it necessarily to the Insider. You have to think of Ridley Scott as a director. I mean, think about movies like Alien. Think about movies like uh, well. Like in Black that Hawk case, Down, I but, think I think it's a net positive too. In the case where you're taking Ridley Scott and and saying giving him the credit of sort of doing similar to what Michael Mann did, assuming that's what's going to happen, I think you have a net positive. If if not, I think it's a net negative. Now, when you guys say net positive, are you suggesting that that one let, let's say so let's say Gladiator is improved by 50% and you know, uh, but um, you know, the insider is, is less dips is, down dips to ten percent. Yeah, you're that's still fo- up forty percent. Is that what you're exactly? Saying? So yeah, doesn't necessarily mean mo- both get better. Right. Um, it's just over the overall positivity is higher. Okay. So I think this may be something interesting to do. Is that we, you know, we take the movie we discuss and find something maybe similar and, and I, swap directors. I got another one for you. Okay. Okay. So. The Aviator was supposed to be directed mm-hmm. by Michael Mann, ultimately directed by Martin Scorsese, but Christopher Nolan has also got a Howard Hughes project um, that supposedly is his, the best Set script he's ever ever written. Um, would either of those? Would either of those? And I'm not saying necessarily The Aviator as we know it, but would Michael Mann's Howard Hughes take or Christopher would we be Nolan's? Welcome to another version. Yeah, or Christopher Nolan's Hughes take be better than The Aviator, which is a movie that you guys don't like a lot, as I recall. I, I'm I'm, a, I'm I'm above average on. The I'm Aviator. betting Nolan's is going to be better than The Aviator. I don't. And I mean, so, I don't think it'll be made. I don't think it's going to be. Well, made, here's but. what I'll say. I I think a Michael Mann Aviator does not interest me, oddly enough. Um, I would agree with that. I, I don't. I don't know why it just doesn't. A Nolan one does, if for no other reason than I would like to see him do something set a little bit more in reality again. Mm. Just, I mean, everything he's doing now is sci-fi, essentially, to yeah, some extent. I, uh... And I like that. I mean, I guess, you know, I I like all the stuff he's doing. I just think, you know, I'm looking for, I mean, I guess Dunkirk was that. Yeah. So, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I always forget that Dunkirk was him for that reason, for that exact reason. It's just, it's such a, it's such a smaller, contained, realistic movie compared to everything else he's doing. All right, you got one, Jeremy? No. (laughs) Just, oh, for fuck's sake. Just think of two directors. Stick stick with the top five. Okay, all right. Last one, last one, all right? This is easy since Chapin brought it up. And I, and it would probably be obvious what the answer is, but you got to just think on it a little bit more. Saving Private Ryan and Gladiator switch directors. Terrible. Oh, I mean, 
Gladiator would be better, I think. Well, not necessarily. I mean, so when he you're did, saying... I mean, say, Spielberg has not, like, nailed every action movie well, he's that's ever the done. Thing. So. That's the thing. It's like when you say Saving Private Ryan, I'm, like, sort of taking it as, So like, that's what you have to that, do. You have to think of the director as a whole, not just from that movie. That aesthetic in that movie, taking that and bringing it to... Yeah, that would be awesome. That's cool. Gladiator. Like, okay, that would be great. Here, here's what I think. So, so Spielberg... But what, but what about War Horse? I mean, War Horse, you know, I know we all, like softened on that movie a little bit but that's super polished you know uh, <laughs> crane shots all that crap that gladiator does and spielberg no, but does still, it in warhorse yeah okay i don't know if Tabor was falling asleep or if he I just had came a, yeah, I just, or what <laughs> so i guess what I think what's difficult about Ridley Scott's thing is that is that he's not a, and we should have probably discuss this when we weren't in this game, <laughs> but he's not I invented this new game that we came no, up with on the spot. Like there, like his his through line, what makes him unique as a director is his style and like style. When and when I say style, like I mean like what he does with his camera, but like and, and in that sense, he's kind of a superficial filmmaker. I hate to say it. But, like, he is the, you know, as you pointed out, Jeremy, somebody who storyboards everything. Um, but, like, Spielberg would want to make Gladiator a more, a smarter movie. He would want to make, like, his his historical movies around this time and going forward are not always better. But, like, you know, like, Lincoln is, is kind of a movie about people talking in rooms. And um, so is Bridges Spy. <laughs> oh, Leah, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, sorry you mentioned Lincoln and I just fell asleep. Um, and so uh, that isn't to say that they're boring, but I think he would find a way to make those. Like I feel like every time we're in those, <laughs> or in those like uh, Commodus's chambers scenes, it's like he can't. Like his focus is on like the depth, like in the it, like the thing in the background. That's you know, like they're all so beautifully shot and look, and they just well, look interesting. Instead dressed and everything, yeah, yeah. overdressed and like it's not interesting what they're talking about, and you know, he he could care less what they're saying, and I don't know. Well, I think I think we're Ridley, and this isn't always the case because there's there's some Ridley Scott movies that I I like a lot that are exceptions to this, but where when Ridley Scott is at his best, it's when he has something very very simple in terms of plot, and he can. And he can use his visuals to tell the story. I mean, Alien is the perfect example. I mean, an alien escapes on the ship. They have to kill it before it kills them. Right. Very, very simple. Yeah, there's all the stuff about the company and so on and so forth. And that, you know, if anything, I would say maybe that's a detriment because it's, it's, it's created this new run of sequels that just aren't working. But the, the plot is very simple. And he puts that on screen in such a visceral and unique way that only he could do that I think that's what makes that movie work. And if you look at the other aliens, alien movies like James Cameron's Aliens, it's a totally different movie. It's done totally differently. And I think that's where he succeeds most. So when you have a movie like Gladiator, I think the reason like the revenge part works so well for us is because he can take this very simple piece and put it on screen in a way that is you know, impressive visually, has got great set, set dressing, you know, is shot yeah. well, I even if it's maybe boring, and I, that's it. And now there's, there's exceptions, of course, but that's it. I mean, I think you're so right. I think that's there's why not a lot of nuance. I think that's why Black Hawk Down works. Like, that's not a simple movie. There's a lot of moving parts to it. It's very complicated. But there's from no a, plot. Yeah, it's, but there's no, it, the, 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 you know, it's you're just on the ground with these guys for like 36 hours, and that's it. And, and how can you make that interesting? Yeah, yeah. and he does. Fascinating. Yeah, um, and that's exceptional. Like I think American Gangster is a movie you'd forget that he directed, and, and I think there's and, a lot uh, going on. Same with The Martian, movie. and The Martian too. Yeah, which I was catching some of on TV the other day. It's just hard to shut off. It's so good. Well, Martian's a good example of being sort of paint by numbers, but in a really good way. Like it, it, it keeps you captivated because you have to do, you have to have a sort of pacing for that movie. Uh, that works, and you know he's clearly able to 
able to do that and is good at that. Do you think Matt Damon be. helps that though? Do you think Matt Damon? Yeah, Matt Damon helps it, but like, maybe like Russell Crowe doesn't get out of Gladiator. No, I don't think so. Because if The Martian but, was made twenty years ago, Russell Crowe would have been that in that role. He would. Well, that, th- that's a different question. I think Matt Damon would gets he have something. Gotten the same thing though. No, but well, I, I don't. But, but I, I he think was like, always too serious to be that role, at least at that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Russell Crowe wouldn't have worked there, but um, I still think he would have been cast. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I think Ridley Scott, if need be, can slow down and be conservative and do what the the movie needs to serve the story. Like he doesn't always feel like he has to show off stylistically, which obviously he can do if he needs to. I mean, look at Blade Runner. I mean, like he can be that director. Oh, I think Gladiator is a show off movie. It definitely is. I don't know if it is. And I, I think, feel like I think it is. I, f- I think it I, is to a fault. And, and it's like it's like too. It's it's overly. Well, u- if it is, using, he messed up there. Using of all that's what the... I mean. I think it is to a fault. I think it's, I think it went too far in trying to show some things off. I think we've made Gladiator sound worse than it is too for me. I want to just. I like this movie still. I was, I enjoyed watching it. I just don't think it's. I don't think it's anything. I don't think it's. Oh, it should be on any top list anywhere. I think it's a good movie. No some, top of the decade. No, it's got some cool, cool battle scenes. Are we going to redo our tops of the decade? Because I, I would actually like to redo this it. Wasn't and in like, the there's this a lot. You're talking about the uh, 2000s. We, uh, we, I mean, we did that, Jeremy, a long time ago. Yeah, I, I, that's what yours I meant. Was, the 2000s. Yours was Eternal Sunshine was number one. Oh, f- oh, that's a great pick. You know what mine was, Chapin? Right? What was yours? What sideways, baby? Was it really? Yeah. When was this? When the fuck was this? I think we did this around, like, the time we... I mean, probably at the end of 2000's decade, I'm assuming, is when we did it. Um, okay. All right. So, I think we got some 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 remnants of a segment here, guys. I just... My thoughts are we run out... We're running out of ideas for top fives. I feel like they've gotten a little stale. We're not. So we we just... Every time new. we try to do something significant, you say no, because you don't want to do a definitive list, which I want to do. We could, like, like we right. could have done top five Ridley Scott movies. Okay, well, we're going to eventually run out of definitive lists if that's all we do. So we can sprinkle those in. Okay. But I think this is, I think my idea, what I had, <laughs> not didn't work. Okay? Unless you guys get some good ones. But the director swap, I like. Well, I, I think if, I, you know, I thought about it and planned a little swaps. bit ahead. His head with her body. <laughs> Uh, um okay jeremy i i watched the first scene of spencer confidential yeah good directed by peter burke locations by jeremy fisk yeah can you watch a little more than that but not all of it can you give us a quick it's you know it's the netflix movie Um, it's a Wahlberg movie yeah it's uh it's based on the spencer for hire books Um, it's also a tv show in the 90s, I think, 80s or 90s. And it was a TV show, yeah. So Which initially, I when, with my dad. when we were going to uh, film this, Peter Berg just kept talking about Gamora, Gamora. He wants it to be gritty, <laughs> oh like the movie Gamora. God. And Has somehow, seen Gamora? <laughs> somehow, this movie went from Gamora to like a buddy cop. Mile 22. I, yeah, I don't even know. It's not even like there were some s- somewhat serious scenes, and then there was like it tried to I, uh, be okay. light at moments. Uh, it just I'll... it didn't. It was all there was no plot either. Like I, they just made stuff. Up. We didn't know where we were going, location to location, like a week ahead of time. Like I just imagining like like the night before the tech scout. Peter Berg well, watched Gamora. <laughs> so yeah, guess what? Time. Guess where Peter Berg was on the tech scout? Oh, not there. I don't know. I don't know. He wasn't there. It's the only tech scout I've ever been on okay. where the director wasn't there. So he was still finishing up Gamora. He was still watching Gamora. <laughs> it it just I'm surprised they were able to put together a movie, to be honest with you. Uh you know, it's with a movie that's like about a private detective and like everything should be about plot and like the intricacies of figuring out that plot. No, honest, you guys should listen. So I, I, 
it, it was an inner he Mark Wahlberg was on Ellen and I saw this inter, this bit of the interview just because I clicked on like him talking about Spencer Confidential. I don't watch Ellen, but um you should have right, heard whoa. Mark Wahlberg trying to explain the plot of the movie. It took him like 10 minutes. He's but like, there is no plot. <laughs> but that's why, I think. Because he had no idea what he was talking about. He just rambled. <laughs> and he was so passionate, though. You have to give him credit. What was it called initially? Wonderland. Wonderland. Why? What's the, Wonderland's a dog the, track. That's the in, name of the uh, books. Well, also, Wonderland's a dog track in Revere. It was a real dog track that we shot at the random dog track um yeah uh there's that that movie it's not one you'd recommend this week on netflix no i mean there's something about it to i mean if you want to just mindlessly watch something i think that's what it has going for it it's just like you don't you don't have to think about it at all which is nice Brian, Brian Hedlund uh, co-wrote the script of L.A. Confidential fame. You know, just one of the best screenplays ever, ever written. Ever, ever written. Yeah. yeah. Mystic River also co-wrote that. Yeah, there was... Uh, and Robin Hood. Like, if there Ridley was Scott. ever... If there was ever a movie where I could have told you during filming that this thing made no sense... Uh, it would have been that one. Like other movies, I'm like, they know what they're doing. That one, I'm like, they don't, they don't know what they're doing. So you, I think Pete Berg was just like, thanks Netflix. So Peace. this is this is just ridiculous. But you guys, I know you guys, you guys were filming in uh, in Brighton and Alston and stuff for a little bit. Yeah, and, that and was that was my I, location. Yeah, I, that was the nail salon. So. Yeah, so I I spent some time in in that area for my job, and I drove by, and there was I saw all your trailers and trucks and stuff, and and. There was some parking that was uh, limited because of it uh, for me. And I just, I don't know. For some reason, I was like, this movie's going to suck. Just <laughs> see, <laughs> just looking at the trailers. <laughs> I don't not know how tra- I knew. Not the trailer no, 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 of the no. movie he was the, looking at. He was looking Star at the Star Wagons. Tra- <laughs> yes. The Haddad's trailers. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was the budget? Do you know? I don't. I want to say it was like around 50, 60 million. Hmm. Maybe even more. I don't get it. Like that's the it budget that we talk about all the time. That's lost. Like that. Those those movies don't get made anymore. But then this shit does. Well, Netflix is a different beast. Netflix is is. Yeah, I don't know. They're just the they're throwing not even on Netflix. I mean, on IMDb. They're throwing money at everything. Like it's interesting. I heard that Netflix took out ten billion dollars in loans to make uh, original programming. Because they're losing all the other, uh, oh, like all the NBC shows are going to. Yeah, be all the shows are going to their own streaming platforms. Just, I, I just find it so strange. Like the the stuff they're putting out is just is just garbage. And like, and not only that, but like, I have to say, what what aggravates me about Netflix is like, is the it's just overcome when you open the pages, overcome with like stuff you've never heard of. It's hard to like search anything because there's so much original stuff that's just nonsense well the number one movie on netflix right now is spencer confidential so yeah okay and, but and they have so they have this new top 10 thing so like love is blind the reunion is number three in the u.s today uh the trials of gabriel fernandez angry birds 2 movie uh freaks not the original not the one that we watched in film school something with bugs bunny is that space jam Space Jam number five? How is that possible? Yeah, Space Jam's number five. How is that number five on Netflix streaming right now? I have, I have no idea. Nope. Michael Jordan, that's why. Um. Anyway, we're we're veering off topic. Okay. Were we ever on topic? No. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fixed podcast. I've been Chapin Hemingway. Lee's been Lee. Jerry's been Jerry, baby. I don't know, guys. I don't know if the video thing is working. I don't think we got anything out of it. Oh, I love it, though. I think we should continue. It's fun, it. though. Um, I actually think it is better because for two reasons. One, we I think we interrupted each other less. Yeah, that's probably true because we can see. Which is good yep, and, yep. and helpful. Mm-hmm. And especially if we have a point, we can yep. do that. Point it out. But also, point it out to you fuckers. Also, I can, I can tell when you guys are paying attention to what I'm saying and if I have to cut off, cut it short. That's good. <laughs>
Um, look away. Yeah, look guys. Away, we'll, we'll, um, I plan on letting you guys see me for the rest of time. So whether or not you turn your cameras on is another story. Okay. Well, um, so there's no uh, hairy chest. There's no real good movies coming out, right? So we might have to keep doing this. Uh, we don't want to go to the movie theater because we'll all get coronavirus. So <laughs> I'm hoping, you know, by the time we, you know, I'd like to if we can, if any of, if we can get to see First Cow, that's getting very good reviews from Kelly Reichard, and that also ties into a, a discussion I'd like to have on bad trailers. Yes, and I know a bunch of people who worked on First Cow, so we might be able to tie in an interview. The movie, Chapin. I'm not talking. Uh, never mind. Huh? Tried to make a, a beef joke, bestiality joke. Okay. Oh, I thought you're you're just making a, a fat person joke. Could have been that too. Okay, Lee. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week, hopefully. Uh, what have enough for that? I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee. All right. Here we go. Gladiator. Gladiator. The armies of the north. <laughs> That's a different story. Okay. You guys ready? Hello yeah, can and you hear Adeline? Oh, f- 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 you never interrupt. <laughs>